Well, welcome everybody to all of our campuses today. I want to welcome those of you watching online. Glad you could join us whenever you can do that. And way to make it to church, everybody, you could have slept in. You know, you could have shopped online or something, but you're here. So way to go. Uh, glad to see you all. We're in a series called Rumor Has It, and we're talking about the rumors that get attached to churches, especially big churches. You hear rumors like, you know, it, it must be a cult or it's, it's, it's all about the show. One time I actually overheard a couple of guys, I was in a fitness center, I overheard a couple of guys talking about our church. They didn't attend our church. But one guy said to the other guy, he said, the reason they must be, people must be going to that church, saw all the cars in the parking lot, they must be giving away free beer at that church. Uh, he was dead serious. That's the only explanation he had for people coming to a church like this. They must be giving, a free, giving away free beer. I, I assure you that was simply a, a rumor. But last weekend, John Alexander taught on, on, on one of our topics here, and he, he talked about the hedgehog concept that we use here for the past 15 years to kind of keep us focused. And it's really quite simple. It comes out of Jim Collins' teaching, out of his book, Good to Great. But we, we look at three things in our church. We, everything we do here flows through these three ideas. We want to be relevant. Uh, you know, we think we're pretty good at that. What are we best at? Relevance. What drives our economic engine or what supports what we do around here is ownership. And then really what we're passionate about, though, is transformation, helping people change from something that's not going well in their life to a, to a better way of living. So everything we do, our programs, music, buildings, our messages, has to go through this, this filter, if you will. Does it create ownership? Is it relevant? And does it, does it bring transformation to people? Today's rumor is the church just wants my money. We hear that all the time. And while the church needs money for buildings, programs, local and global mission, really what supports our ministry is ownership. It's when people own what's going on around here. We hope that our church becomes so important to you and your family that you don't just attend, uh, but that you become an owner by serving, giving, and supporting what God's doing here. I actually think this is a sign of spiritual maturity when you move from just attending and receiving to actually being an owner. I used to spend a few days alone every summer in a secluded place in Hayward, Wisconsin, a little cabin that uh, one of our attenders owns here. And I used to go there to work on my message series for the year, and rarely did I see or talk to anybody, but one morning I was deep in my work, and I caught some movement out of the corner of my eye, and a, a very strange-looking man was making his way toward the cabin through the woods, and uh, he walked up onto the deck of, of the cabin I was in, and he began peering through the screen door. So I walked over to the door, and he said, you're not George. I said, no, I'm George's friend. I'm just up here studying. He said, well, I just wanted to make sure nobody was breaking in, didn't know who you were. And so I stepped out onto the deck, and his little shaggy dog started licking my leg. And he said, Bo's a licker. I, I thought, well, I got a dog who'd like to eat Bo, but Bo's a licker, he said. And I tried to connect with the guy. I said, uh, do, you, do you like to fish the lake here? He said, no, I don't fish. I said, well, do you like to hunt? He said, no, I don't hunt. So we talked about our dogs a little bit talked about his adult kids who he likes to avoid at all costs. And I said, well, I'm going to be here till Wednesday. How long are you going to be here? He said, well, I'm, going to, I'm leaving Tuesday. i got to get back for the Phantom of the Opera. And I'm like, what? I mean, he was standing there holding a Schmidt beer, wearing cutoffs and a T-shirt, and it was like I was in the Twilight Zone. I said, I said the Phantom of the Opera? He said, yeah, I've seen it eight times. He says, I've even traveled to New York City to see it. And I didn't know what to do with that. 
And so I said, well, I'm not much for opera. He said, well, this isn't opera. It's really a musical. I said, well, tell me about it. And I didn't know where to go with the conversation, so I said, tell me about it. He said, well, the phantom is ugly and mysterious, but he's the gift giver. He's the reason she can sing. And I kind of wanted to hurry up the conversation, so I said, how does it end? She falls in love with him, right? He says, well, I don't want to tell you. It'll ruin it for you. He said, I have a friend who's seen cats 22 times. And I'm like, who is this guy? But the next day, I tried to be friendly, so I walked over to his cabin. He was, he was down working on his boat. And he said, so you think you're going to go see the, the Phantom? And I said, well, you know, maybe. And he yelled for his girlfriend who had been living with him for 25 years. She came out of his cabin, and, and he said to her, tell Bob about the Phantom. And she waved her cigarette at me, and she said, oh, it's breathtaking. The opening scenes were it the whole night, and they went on and on and on about the Phantom of the Opera. And I, I you know, I, I almost had me convinced, I, I'm sure it was the $80 ticket price that did me, and there's no way I was going to pay 80 bucks to see that thing. <laughs> but as I thought about this, I thought, you know, this, this is what it means to be an owner of something. That guy was an owner of the Phantom. Talks to total strangers about it. Travels to New York City and back to watch it. Probably sends a monthly check to the Ordway to support the Phantom. And, and you know, that's fine, but I thought about it. Isn't there something more valuable and more eternal to invest your time in and your money in and your life in than the Phantom? I later found out my new opera friend is very wealthy, hasn't worked in years, has been separated from his wife for 25 years, is estranged from his family and kids. But I thought, what if he knew that there was a God who loved him and wanted a relationship with him and restore his life a little bit? What if he knew that it, he and his girlfriend knew that there was a church who was wanting them to, you know, experience new life with God and with other people, relational healing and a purpose for living? Well, in Luke chapter 12 in the Bible, Jesus tells a story about a man who had devoted his life to a lot of things that really didn't matter and really wouldn't last. Uh, he had a business. It was rapidly expanding in Luke chapter 12, and so he had to build bigger and bigger buildings to house his expanding business, and that's all good. It's good to grow a business. I'm glad so many of us are doing that. Way to go. But this guy got to a point in his life where he said to himself, and I want to read this verse in Luke chapter 12, verse 19, got to a point and he said, look, I'm set. Said to himself, I'm set. I have plenty of good things laid up for myself. Key word, for myself, for many years. I will take life easy. I will eat, drink, and be merry. So he's set in life. He's going to kick back. He's just going to live it up. But I want to retell this story kind of in a paraphrase form that we might, it might get retold in 2015. I want to update this story a little bit. So it's a paraphrase of what Luke 12 is teaching. It's a story about a guy who's consumed not by the phantom, but by his business. Puts in 14-hour days plus weekends so that work is not just his occupation, it's really become his preoccupation. You know, his wife tries to tell him he's got a family and three kids who want him to read to them and play games with them, and, but they stop asking him to do that because they've stopped expecting it. 
He tells himself he's going to start paying attention to those things when life settles down. But things never do seem to settle down. He knows his life is out of balance. His wife even tries to get him to go to church with her, but when Sunday rolls around, he says, I'm just too tired. And besides, he says, that church is way too big. Parking such a hassle. And all the pastor talks about is hunting, fishing, and golf. I'm not going to go. The guy says, there'll be time for that. When things settle down. One day the CEO of his company tells him that business is booming and it's their chance to strike the mother load. So from that day on, he just devotes every waking moment to this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And that night, he goes home to his wife and he says, Man, once we get through these next few years, we're going to be set for life. We can take life easy and we'll be able to finally settle down. But she's heard that before. And she's learned not to get her hopes up. And later that night, she says, man, I'm going up to bed. It's 11 o'clock. And he said, I'll be up in a few minutes. I just have a few more things to take care of here with work. But at three in the morning, she wakes up and he still wasn't there. So she went downstairs to get him and he was sitting in front of the computer with his head resting on the table. And she said to herself, it's like being married to a child. So she touched him on the shoulder to wake him, but he didn't respond, and his skin felt cold. So in a panic, she dials 911, but when the paramedics got there, they told her that he'd had a heart attack and that he'd been dead for hours. Amazing. Never expected it. A few days later, they had the funeral, and at the funeral, the whole business community filed past his casket. And people said this phrase that people often say, he looks so peaceful. You know, death will do that to a person. <laughs> Things had finally settled down, way down, you know. Later on, they buried him. And on his gravestone, they wrote words like innovator, leader, success. But that night, when nobody else was around, an angel of God came to the cemetery, made his way through all the graves to the grave of this man. And there he wrote with his finger a single word that God chose to summarize this guy's life. And that word, that single word was this, fool. God called him a fool. Now, as Jesus tells this story in Luke chapter 12, you have to ask yourself, why did he use such strong language? I mean, he was just building his business and doing his thing. Because I think for all of his work and all of his money, there's one thing the guy never thought about. And that was his eventual death. He, he forgot that at some point he was going to die. And Jesus is just amazed by the foolishness of a person who would spend their entire life building wealth and establishing stuff and give almost no thought to his relationships, to the things that really matter, his, his marriage, his kids, his relationship with God, what God might want him to do on earth. So what other word can Jesus use to describe behavior as irrational as that? So consumed with temporary things and not giving any thought to eternal things. So consumed with building his little kingdom here on earth, 
giving no thought to God's kingdom. And really, the summary of this story is, you know, someday every one of us are going to stand before God and give an account of our lives. And if all we can say is, well, God, I saw the phantom eight times. (laughs) I played 700 rounds of golf. I owned two houses and a condo. I walked around the lake every single day. I mean, if that's all we can say, that's going to be a tough day. Rick Warren, Pastor Rick Warren, author of The Purpose Driven Life, he says it this way, on that final day, God's going to ask us two questions only. On that day, what did you do with my son Jesus? Did you put your trust, your faith, your life in the hands of my son who who came to earth and paid the debt of your sin? Did you put your faith in him? And the second question is, what did you do with your one and only life? Did you use it in a way that honored me? You and I, friends, have a rare chance to be a part of something that I never saw coming in my lifetime. And the good news is it's not too late for us to restructure our lives in ways that will honor God and count for something that has lasting value. I I never expected to be a part of a church like this, and I don't want to miss it, and I don't want you to miss it, but it's going to take more than just attending and receiving. This past year, the number of people who began their new life in Christ through our church, the number of people who, who put their faith in Christ this year in our church was 2,444. That is a mega church in itself. It's larger than most churches in America. But just the number of people who began to trust Christ. The number of people who were baptized in our church this year was 2,132. It's quite amazing. 24 years ago in 1991, we started with one campus and 350 people. Today it's six campuses with over 20,000 people attending every weekend. Again, I never saw this coming. But here's what concerns me. About 30% of you have made all of that happen. About 30% of you served, gave, and owned what God did through this church this past year. About 30% of you carried the load, which means that about 70% of you just kind of watched. And by the way, that's average for most churches in America. We're actually a little bit better than most churches in that category. But here's the thing, I don't think God wants us to be average. I said to a guy last week, there is no greater cause on earth than what God is doing through the church. And we need guys like you to help. If Eaglebrook, I said, has been important to you and your family, if you believe in the mission to reach others for Christ, would you help us do for others what others have done for you? I was asking him to be an owner. And there's two ways that every person here today uh, can become an owner if you're not an owner already. And I want to ask every person here to prayerfully consider doing these two things, friends, so that we don't waste our lives on just foolish things. Okay, you ready? Here's how you can be an owner. Number one, owners boldly invite other people to be a part of this. Owners understand it's not just about themselves anymore. Owners understand it's about inviting 
and including other people. At some point, you think about this, at some point, somebody invited you to our church. Might have been last week. Might have been a year ago or 20 years ago, but somebody invited you, and somebody provided a building and a seat for you, and for some of you, that's become your seat. In fact, when you come to church and somebody else is sitting in your seat, you get a little bad attitude about that because they're sitting in your seat and you're like, hey, get out of my seat. And you think it's your seat. And that's great. But somebody built a campus near your neighborhood so you could come. Somebody actually bought land, hired a construction company, made a financial pledge, and is actually paying for the mortgage, staff, sound, lights, carpet, and air conditioning. Someone hired a company who specializes in making our children's areas so amazing that at the end of the service, when it's time to pick your kids up and go home, sometimes your kids actually say, I don't want to go home. I want to stay in church a little bit longer. And, you, and you're like, great, can we pick our kids up tomorrow? Because you just want to leave them here. And you know what? A lot of you, you got it all dialed in. You know where to park. You know where to sit. You know how to get in and get out just like that as quickly as you can. You've got it all worked out. And some of you, maybe you think, why would I want to mess all that up by inviting and including others when I got it all worked out for myself? I'll tell you why you'd want to do that. Because here's what owners do. Owners provide for others what others have provided for you. And folks, I know you want to do this. I know you do. Because when you experience something so wonderful and so helpful for you and your family, you just naturally want to share it with other people. That's what the phantom guy does. He, he just believes in the phantom so much. It's so great. It can't be that great. But he thinks it's so great. He just wants to invite everybody else. If you go to a good restaurant and you think it's fantastic, you can't shut up about it. You want everybody else to experience it. Same with our church. And by the way, I hope that inviting others to this church becomes so natural for you, it just flows out of you. We borrowed this idea from Andy Stanley, North Point Church in Atlanta. And I've already tried this out, so I know it works. Here's what I want to challenge all of you to do from now on. Okay, here it is. I want you to think about the three knots. Whenever you're having a conversation with somebody, just casually, it could be at work, school, wherever. Maybe you don't even know this person, but listen for the three knots in your conversation. This person may not be in church, maybe not connected with other people, or just not doing well. Listen to those three knots in your conversation. If it comes up, well, I'm not in church, or I'm not connected, I'm just not doing well, not very happy in life, use that as God's cue to invite that person automatically and say something like this, well, you should come to our church this week. You should come to our church this week as soon as you hear it. The other day I was working out at Snap Fitness and there was a kid there who I didn't recognize, but he stopped me and he said, you're, you're Dave Merritt's dad, aren't you? I said, yeah, I am. He and my son went to high school together and he said, Dave's a lawyer, right? I said, yeah, I don't know where he got that. <laughs> we chatted a little bit and I asked him where he was in life and he said, well, kind of in between stuff, had a couple of jobs, but nothing really going on. And I thought to myself, He's not connected. 
really kind of alone. And so I encouraged them to hang in there, keep applying for jobs. Eventually it'll happen for them. And then I said, at the end of the conversation, I said, look, if you're not going to church anywhere, you should come to our church this week. Just get started. See what might happen in your life. And he said, Eaglebrook, right? I said, yeah, that's it. And you know what? He wasn't offended. He wasn't put off. It was just a natural part of the conversation that whenever you hear one of these knots, use it as God's cue to invite them. You should come to my church this weekend. Now, here's what a lot of you do, and I know this because this is what I've done many, many times. I get into a conversation, and I start hearing either not in church, not connected, not doing well, and instead of immediately inviting that person to church, I think, but who's speaking that weekend? Well, you are. It's going to be good. Well, I think it is. You know, what's the topic? Is this the best series? And I go through all this mental screening, and then a lot of times I don't invite them because I don't think this is the absolute perfect weekend. And I bail. I don't do that anymore. I don't do that anymore. Anytime I hear one of these knots, my wife and I just invite people. Friends, here's my promise. We will make our teaching, music, buildings, cafes, children's programming... We will make it amazing for your guest, and we will do it every single weekend of the year. And what we've discovered is that it doesn't matter who's teaching that weekend or what the series is. God will use something different in every single service for each different person. Maybe it'll be a song or a prayer, uh, how they were greeted at the door. I can't tell you how many times someone has come up to me after I've taught and said, Bob, that sermon I'm telling you, you gave, and they're they'll start talking about something I have never preached on in my life. But God said something to them, spoke to them through a song or a prayer or something, and they'll be all teary-eyed about this over something I never even said. So I'm telling you, instead of trying to overanalyze this thing, whenever you hear one of the three knots, use it as a cue to invite others into it. Let them experience God, healing, hope. It's the best message on the face of the earth. I told this story eight years ago, but a guy, I, ran, I was biking. I was out biking one day, and I bumped into a guy just on the side of the road. He was training his dogs. He's all geared up and had whistles and orange, and I, I just couldn't resist, so I stopped, and I wanted to talk to him about hunting dogs. Never knew the guy. I didn't know who he was, but we started talking about hunting, and it, 20 minutes later, we were still talking, and the topic turned toward church, and I invited him. Still here. We reconnected. I want you to see it on video just to catch up a little bit. Watch this. Come on, let's go. Hey, girl. Come on. Hey, girl. So, Keith, thanks for meeting with me today. Um, eight years ago, we met randomly in a field. I was on my bike. Uh, you saw me in my spandex and helmet. You were in your hunting gear with your dogs. And I couldn't just keep going. I had to stop, see who you were. What were you thinking about when you saw this guy? Well, a little nervous because I was on private property, but uh, I thought, who is this guy? Why is he here? I, I was just minding my own business. Do you remember what I said to you? Oh, you asked me what I was doing, and I told you I was uh, training my dogs and started talking about pheasant hunting. And uh, we talked about where I lived in the community, and somehow it took a turn towards uh, talk of church. You must have asked me something about what I did or something and I said, well, I don't know, I'm a pastor. Yeah. Right? And then you made me more nervous. <laughs> I thought, oh boy. Of course. 
Good girl. Can you explain you're a pastor of Eagle Brook, and several of my neighbors had invited me to Eagle Brook, and kind of was dragging my heels. You're going through uh, not a terrible time in life, but just drifting a little bit from church and from faith. Yeah, I would say um, going through a, a dark chapter in life a little bit, bumpy road. We were both very busy in our careers. I had two little ones running around, keeping us quite active, and um, just struggling with where we wanted to go with our faith. So my original intent was not to invite you to church necessarily, but I recognize that this is an opportunity, just a nat natural conversation. I need to invite you to church. It was really casual. You know, didn't push me into a corner. Hunting, just, church, yeah. dogs. Yeah. All and fits, right? It was the first time I met a pastor that said he was an outdoorsman and hunting and fishing. It was normal. I'm not sure normal yet, but yeah. <laughs> it, 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 was, it was really neat. That's great. So you came. You remember that first time that you came? I do. I came with just um, my neighbors. It was just myself to check it out. Wasn't quite sure if the whole family should come quite yet. And I remember the music when it first started up. I thought, oh man. And I had just started. Oh man, good or oh man? Good. It was oh. just, I love, I love the music. And uh, we got into a great message. And then after that, we checked out some of the kids' services. And I thought, man, my kids would love this. Talk about the changes that you've seen in your life or what the church has meant to you, your, your new relationship with God the last eight years. It's meant everything. The way it's made me grow in my faith and to instill that into my children and my wife has been, uh, it's been incredible. Have you invited anybody else to church? I have, co-workers, um, family, Do they neighbors. ever get mad at you for inviting them? Nope, nope, there's not a, a person that we haven't invited that isn't still attending. Wow. Well, I'm glad we bumped into each other that day. God has used that moment. The past eight years, you've been a regular here, and I, I see you every Saturday night sitting there with your family. Yep, the Eagle Brook has changed me and my family yeah. completely. And, and can you be a Christian and a hunter? Absolutely. Amen. Yeah. Way to go. Thanks, Bob. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Aren't you glad he's a part of our church? Yeah, it's good. Because owners, owners boldly invite other people. By the way, it takes about six invitations for a person to respond, on average. Not, not always, but about six. So you could be the first person. They say, ah, and I did second, third, by the sixth time. <laughs> I got to go. And uh, so that's how it works. Boldly invite other people. Second way you can be an owner is this. Commit to a plan to support your church financially. Keyword is plan. Now, if you're new here today, this isn't for you. This is, you can just kind of take a nap here for a second. But commit to a plan to support your church financially. Owners do two things. They invite other people and they commit to a plan to support their church. Friends, if you just come and receive, you're going to miss the chance to make your life count for what God is doing. So I want to invite you into this. You know, in Luke chapter 12... Jesus said the guy was building bigger and bigger buildings to house all his business, and he accumulated more and more stuff, but then he died. God called him a fool because he never thought about, you know, maybe what does God want me to do with my life and my money? Never thought about it. And I just want to pause here. I was on the elliptical machine the other day thinking about this part in my message, and I thought this, you know, the last thing I want God to call me is a fool. I don't want God to call me a fool. I don't want God to think I was a fool in how I spent my life. I don't. I want God to be proud of me. 
I want God to think of me as someone who used my life and my money to advance the church and to reach others for Christ and do some good in the world. I want God on that day when I see him, I want God to say, Bob, Bob, well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. I don't want God, I don't want to slink around heaven for all eternity and have God, every time I bump into God, look at me and kind of think, man, you know, I love you, Bob. I forgive you. But why didn't you spend your life better? And I don't know if God will think that. I think everything will be cool when we get there. But, man, how, you know, our life on earth is about this long, right? It's really short, here and, here and gone. And then we die, and then eternity goes from here, and there, there's no end. It's just on and on and on. It goes through the wall, and you can't even see where you turn. It's, it's a long time. And the Bible says how we spend our life in this short period is how kind of God will think about us for all eternity. And I want God to say, well done. And I know you do too. I mean, do you know why we've been able to put campuses in six communities, locations in the Twin Cities so thousands of people can begin a relationship with Christ? Do you know why we've been able to do that? I mean, do you know why we were able to collect $750,000 in one single weekend last year just to give away to local and global charities? Do you know why that $1.2 million flows out of this church every single year to Mozambique, Africa to provide food, water, medicine, and Bible teaching. The reason we're able to do that is because about 30% of us have chosen to honor God with our money and form a plan to support our church financially. And do you know what's holding us back from doing even more good in the world? Do you know what's holding us back from putting campuses in places like Eden Prairie and Rogers, Lakeville, Rochester, and Duluth, people all the time ask us, when are you going to come our way? What's holding us back is the 70% who don't have a plan. Friends, if all of us just had a plan, and a plan means that you, you pick a percentage of your income and you commit that to what God's doing in the world through the church. My wife, Lori, and I have done this all our lives. We, we were both taught to give 10% of everything we earned from the moment we were little kids, we were just taught it, everything we earned, 10%, back to God's work in the church so that we wouldn't waste our lives and so that God wouldn't think we're fools. So every dollar we earned, 10% went into the church offering. And I'm so grateful to God that we were taught that early in life so that when we had very little money or no money or now you know, more money than we ever have had before, we've always given 10% plus to our local church and we love doing it. Because we know that God is going to use that and God is going to bless us for doing it. Now, I know, I know that 10% is mind-blowing to many of you, shocking to your system, unthinkable. I, I know that. So maybe you don't start there. Maybe you start with 2%. Just trust God with 2%, see what he'll do. Maybe it's 5% and you work your way to 10%, but friends, come on. I know that you love the church, and I know that you love God. You're not greedy, most of you. 
You just don't have a plan. It's random. You just don't have a plan. So man, get a plan. Be a part of something eternal. So you don't waste what God's given. And here's, here's the thing. If you do that, that's what the Bible teaches. If you do that, God will take the 90% that you have left and expand it and bless it in ways that you could have never predicted. And all he is waiting for you is to take a step of faith. Get a plan. Jesus said it this way. He said, look, where your money is, that's where your heart is. So where's your money? And where's your heart? I know you want a heart that's generous and large for God. Rumor has it, church just wants my money. It's not true. We just want you to do for others what others have done for you so that we don't waste our lives. We make it count. And enter God's fullest, fullest blessing. Next week, the church is all about the show. I've seen the message Jason's prepared. It's fantastic. We invite you all back uh, next weekend. Let's stand for prayer, closing prayer at all campuses. Let's pray together. Father, thanks so much for your generosity to each of us. Generosity, forgiven sins. My sins are so many, God, and you have forgiven them, cleansed them. You paid the ultimate price for me by sending your son, Jesus. You've given to me over and over in abundance. There's never been a day in my life where I haven't had something to eat three, four times a day. I haven't had a place to live. I've always had a place to live, cars to drive. God, there's never been a day in my life where I have been in want. All of my needs and many of my wants you've given. And you'll do that. You're faithful. And I pray, God, that every one of us will just prayerfully consider, boldly, Inviting others and including others into what you're doing. And then, God, I pray that each one of us will do that scary thing and consider forming a plan to just give a little back what you so abundantly poured into our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great weekend, everybody.